there, and welcome to the Prickly Things Podcast, the show where we are open and honest about everyday life in hopes to empower, motivate, and inspire you. So listen close, because we all love a good story. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome once again to another DACA series here on the Prickly Things Podcast. I am your host, Sandra Camacho, and I'm so excited for you guys to join me today. Um, today on the show, I have a very special guest, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. I have with me Alba Jean. Mind you, I'm looking at her uh, name on camera, and it's like too many letters behind her name, which is a goal we all want. So Alba Jean, BSN slash RN. Hi, Alba. How are you? Good, good, good. I think we we connected on TikTok. And I was inviting, you know, people from the comments and the videos of like, hey, if anybody wants to be a guest, like, please reach out to me. And you're like, I'm a nurse, I'm a nurse, and I'm DACA, like, (laughs) I would love to share my story. And I'm like, yeah, I was super, super, super excited to talk to you. Um, How's everything going? You're out there. It looks beautiful outside. The weather's looking nice. I'm a little bit jealous. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you for giving us the platform to share our stories because we all come from different walks of life. You know, everyone has a different story and I feel like everyone deserves to be heard, you know, so I love that. Thank you so much for that. And then another thing. Yeah. Um, I am outside because my boyfriend's currently taking a test inside. So I hope it's not too windy right now. No, no. I don't hear anything. (laughs) that's good. And then also it's very sunny outside. And I was like, you know what? I need that good vibe, good energy. So need that vitamin D. Good. Yes. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. And it's great. It's going great right now. How about you? How are you doing? Um, it's good. It's been a long week. Um, I mean, we're essentially almost at the end of the year and it scares me just of how these changes with, you know, everything related to the pandemic still going on, you know, like we're still trying to be safe. There are a lot of changes are happening, like at work, a lot of changes happening, like too fast. And it's like, I'm trying to get a grip. Like I told you earlier, I was trying to get into like a routine, trying to get back to like a healthy, you know, building healthy habits of like waking up early, taking care of myself, just because like, I feel like the whole year this year and last year were really rough I don't know if you feel this I mean you obviously have a whole story you're a nurse first of all in the middle of this pandemic which we'll get to that in your episode for sure I've definitely got questions and I want to hear your story but overall I think beyond just being a nurse as a person I mean has it been a difficult year as well definitely I feel like Oh, there's been so much, like, ever since the pandemic started, I think I've gotten through in and out of depression, kind of, and um, I've been doing, like, a lot of self-reflection and self-help and stuff like that. Um, I know there are a lot of resources for therapy, and I did actually take advantage of those, and it's helped a lot, definitely. Um, Also, it helps to have, like, such a supportive family like I have my cousins I have my mom you know my parents you know they're all just there to help which is awesome yeah. so it's, it's always a big plus you know a supportive system 
Yeah, it's important in all aspects of everything that you're going through. And I think, um, yeah, when you're talking about like, you know, depressive moments here and there, I cannot even tell you like the many times like breakdowns out of nowhere. And I'm like, what's wrong with yeah. me? Am I okay? <laughs> like, you know, and learning to be appreciative of what we have, because like in the middle of everything mm-hmm. that's going on, um, whether it's related to like the pandemic, whether it's related to my migration status, whether it's related to like my work or my job Mm -hmm. I feel like I always have those like moments where I'm like super stressed super worried super like you know I carry the world in my shoulders and then mm, I've learned and I'm learning to be appreciative of my health be appreciative of my you know family and focus on that rather than be stressing and worrying about like what's going on so it's been a work in progress this year so far and I mean we're almost at the end of it. So keeping up with all of these self-care habits and like you're talking about, you know, self-help. And I mean, even being in the podcast has been very therapeutic. If, I mean, anybody listening feels like listening to stories and um, I hope it's transmitted the same. Like for me, this is just the best way to connect with people. Being a social butterfly enclosed in four doors. I mean, I really needed to have something for myself where I can meet people like you. Like I would have never thought to be talking to you on a Thursday, you know, like on a weekend, like, hey, how's it going? Let's right. talk. Like that is just so unbelievable about this podcast. The beauties of social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's a there's always a good outcome to it. You know, you can't, you can't always, you know, talk down on social media. <laughs> I know. And it's given me the opportunity to meet people like you and, you know, feature your story today on the DACA series. I'm super excited to um, talk about like, again, the many commonalities or the many things we have in common, but also, like you said, every story is unique. Every story is different. And I'm so curious to learn about your journey. And as people are listening on the show, if they are considering the healthcare field, if they're considering, you know, being a nurse or are currently pursuing a nursing program, who is probably in our same situation? I mean, I think this is going to be a good example of success and like, hey, you're making it out there as a nurse. So I'm really, really excited. Um, And to kick off the show, I do want to go back to the basics, you know, like, what is Mm -hmm. DACA? I feel like a lot of people listening may be familiar. Obviously, this is the DACA series. So all of our stories here on the DACA series are related to our undocumented community, our DACA recipients, our dreamers. So to start off the conversation, would you help me explain what DACA is? Yeah, I actually... uh wrote it down because I wanted to make sure that I like gave like a good explanation of it <laughs> <laughs> really your own experience yeah. should be enough hey I'm a nurse I write everything down <laughs> <laughs> that's true that is true document everything no I'm yes um so yeah so DACA is like a policy right it's a, a policy that was enacted by President Obama back in June 2012 or yeah right June or July yeah oh, June <laughs> So uh, basically what DACA does, it um, gives protection to to, like certain individuals that were brought to the U.S. as children, you know, and what this policy does, it like helps us get the ability to work, um, get the ability to go to school and also like not live in fear that we're going to be deported or, you know, we are able to get an ID now. We're able to do, you know, things that normal citizens do. And I love that. And I also like that it kind of provides another like undercover thing for us where it's like, we're not 
pulling out our Mexican passport to show as proof of an ID and, you know, get judged automatically because I was like that. I was always so scared. Like I would go to clubs or like anywhere to the bar and I'd have to pull out my Mexican passport and then they'll be like, oh, cool. You're from Mexico. Your English is so good. And I'm just like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, wow. And that passport's big too. Like you're always worried, yeah. especially when you're going out to like not lose any documents like you know people lose their ids yeah. or they lose their phones and then you're carrying that big old passport yeah. which is pretty big i mean for a document yeah because then like i don't want to show my matricula because then everybody's gonna be like oh you're an immigrant oh my god the, the identity crisis that i went through when i was younger <laughs> it was crazy i know i know all about that well maybe parts of it because again all of our stories are different but Um, I just got done with posting um, the episode of, you know, like the Mexico Independence Day and we're currently in um, Hispanic Heritage Month and I'm talking about like my identity crisis of like, yes, I'm happy Mm -hmm. to celebrate, but also like I'm so confused, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not partaking or I haven't partaken into all of those celebrations because I feel like being Hispanic or being Mexican for the longest time was like, no, 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 you know, like try to be American, try to be, you know, speak English Mm -hmm. all the time. You have to celebrate the uh, American holidays, forget about your Mexican culture. And like right now that we're older or that I'm older, I'm relearning about me and like learning to identify myself as I am. I am Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, whatever, you know, you prefer to call, but yeah, the identity crisis is real. And um, as we have said here on the show, and as we've, you know, shared many stories, I'm very interested to find out, um, you've talked about, you know, your family values, you've talked about, you know, your support. Um, Coming into the States, do you remember um, how old you were? Yes. So, well, I turned two when we got here, like, um, so... Yeah, so I don't really remember much. Um, I do know some of the stories, um, events based on the, off of what my mom has told me. So that overnight she was able to cross and then they went straight to the home. And then from there, we stayed in like California for like a couple of months. And then from there, we came to Chicago. Um, and she came to Chicago because my uncle was already in Chicago. So we just kind of like followed where family was. Wow. Like, that, yeah, it was crazy. That does sound like crazy. And um, wow. I mean, and how do you feel about being told that story? I mean, does it make you feel any like, like, obviously you're like, mom, how the heck? I mean, as an adult, thinking about like the need to like leave your like, country. I mean, where are you from originally? I mean, check on Mexico. No way. Yeah. <gasps> Yay. I think you're the first one I meet that's also from Michoacan. Yeah, well, I know. I'm like, damn, that's my sister. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, mind you, I also, I mean, don't remember much. I lived there till I was seven, maybe. I turned eight here in the States. So um, I lived there a lot longer than you. And I went to school there and everything. And from what I've been told, it's beautiful. Like, I think there's like a Mariposa Monarca, like reservation yes. there. So it's it's very known okay. for that. And yeah, my mom has also told me a lot of stories, but really, I, I again, here we go with the identity crisis because I have no information or like roots from, from being in Michoacan. So yeah, but that's awesome. Well, now I have someone, you know, that mm-hmm. I know from Michoacan. So yeah, that's really, really cool. We might be like long, like 
long, long, long cousins, lost cousins, right? you know, from like family. Yeah, I know. It always happens that way. Like every single time I meet somebody from Echepkan, we're like, oh, what part? And like, yeah, oh, you probably know my aunt. Oh, you probably know my uncle. You probably, it's yeah, something. I'm telling you, yeah. we're all in the same mix of people. I think especially, I mean, I don't know how big Michoacan is or how big, like, you know, the little yeah. cities or pueblitos are. But I mean, it seems pretty relatable or pretty nice to hear that somebody else is also from there. Like, oh, that is so cool. Um, yes. And then getting to the States. I mean, obviously, you're a baby. And then California, Chicago. Growing up in Chicago, I've heard so many things about the diversity in Chicago yeah. and how welcoming it is. I've never been personally, so I it's one of those in my bucket list that I can't wait to go one day. But growing up yes, there, come on how over. was that? We'll show you around. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Um, growing up in Chicago. So I, I've heard um, other people on your podcast that are from Chicago, and I always try to like pinpoint like what area they're from based on like how they talk about their experiences. And I'm like, oh, she's probably from Little Village. Oh, yes. she's from the South Side. Or like, oh, she's probably from the suburbs. Or, you know, like, I try to, like, pinpoint. And so I am from Albany Park, which is one of the most diverse diverse communities in Chicago. Um, we I grew up with, like, playing with kids who are from Asia, who are from the Middle East, who are from, you know, Africa, who are from Mexico, Colombia, you know, South America. Like, I grew up with diverse kids like um and then like our family started to mix in marriage so, like my cousin Salvadorian I have an Ecuadorian you know like friend who you know it's we're all like we are in the community it's like we all know each other and we all like kind of become family kind of, you know so that's what I loved um I went to a school a elementary school that was um we didn't have a lot of Latinos, but we we were there, you know. Um, it was mostly like white and black. And then, because I grew up in the North Side, so it's it's not like we're diverse. It's not as like populated with um, South American or Mexican population as like somebody else who mentioned. She's like, yeah, my school was ninety percent Mexican, and I was yeah. like, oh, she's probably from Little Village, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, my school wasn't like that. My school was like, it was more white and black. And then there was like a small population of Latinos and then a smaller population of Asians. And then um, once I got to high school, um, it's called Roosevelt High School. I'll put it out there because we have a, a reputation. <laughs> Good or like, bad, you're scaring me. <laughs> well, it's bad because it's known for like gang violence and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Um, but the thing that a lot of people don't know about that high school is that it actually has a lot of good resources. Um, and I feel like, you know, because we get like judged so much on like, oh, you know, only Latinos and Black people go to that school. They must not have good resources. But they did, you know, like, and we'll talk more about it later where I, I when I found out when I was an immigrant, you know, and how it crushed me. But um, yeah, so... I mean, for the most part, Chicago is very diverse, and I love that. Um, we are a little bit segregated, kind of, and we're we're making progress to where, like, we're steering away from the segregation. There's a lot of little areas that are becoming gentrified, and um, the communities are trying to fight that, you know. And I went back, well, to my 
old hood where I grew up as a little kid. And I saw a lot of areas, like little pockets of areas where like there was like, you know, gentrified restaurants and stores. And, but then in the corners, I still saw, you know, the little tiendita from Maria selling her like, you know, flores and selling her conchas, her mattresses, which was awesome to see that they're still standing, you know, and I love that. And the restaurants, the authentic restaurants. Let me tell you, coming out here to Rockford, you don't really get a lot of authentic. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that's the yeah. that sucks about going in and, and living in a new place. You know, you have to get used to yeah. their food and new cultures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I go, I always say, like, you know, this is Chicago's my home and I'm always going to come back to it. And talking about Chicago, uh, how did you feel about that show? And I'm trying to find it here. The, the Gallagher's, what was the show called? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't really watch a lot of shows that like post Chicago in it because they never really like portray it as it really is. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was trying to find out. Like um, that, that's my only impression of Chicago since I've never been. What is that yeah. show called? It's a very popular show. <gasps> I don't know. There's gonna... one called Chicago Fire, Chicago Mad. No, it's a whole family. Um, um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yes, yes. That was, yeah, that on. house was I, in the south side. Yeah, I binge watched this show and I can't remember the Gallagher's. I just know that. Let me find out what it's called. Yeah. It's going to bother right, me. I wish I knew. Um, I heard it's a good show, though. It is amazing. I, it. I loved. Yeah. Oh, Shameless. Shameless. Yeah, there you go. Shameless. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I binge watched Shameless. I've been keeping up to date. I think they were recording last the last season, like in Chicago, while in the pandemic, like they were, and then the episodes were being posted as they were recording. So, um, they were a little missed here and there because, like, they wouldn't post for a while. Um. But I haven't kept up with the last season. But I was like, damn, yeah. like Chicago was like, I don't know. It looks so cool. And they're talking about like on the show, they're yeah. also talking about like the gentrification of Chicago and how they're like, no, this is my house. And people coming yeah. and like, you know, their neighborhoods becoming different from like other races and, you know, ethnicities coming in and taking over, which were a little bit meant to improve, you know, their because they lived in the ghetto, you know, I mean, completely from like uh-huh. the show, it was the ghetto and right. you know, they were fighting on maintaining, you know, how it was and the roots and everything. So yeah, everything that you're telling me, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with it on the show. And I wanted to ask, like, how did you feel about it? But you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen the show. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess because like I, every single time I drive like by a certain area and I see like so much traffic and it's because they're doing a TV show. And I'm just like, oh, why are you doing a TV show right now? Like, I need to get to work. Move. <laughs> but, and then, but I'm going to watch it. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, I'm going to watch it. It's a really good show. Yeah, my cousin said it's really good. And I've always been meaning to. And my sister, too. My sister loves that show, too. Yeah. Um, but yes, I sh- yeah, I'm going to watch it to see, like, if I still feel the same way about, you know, like, yeah, you know, that's right about Chicago. Mm, no, they didn't say this or, you yeah. know, no, stuff like yeah. that. And Chicago, there's also like little villages, like, and it's, oh, well, let's throw it out there. It's also known to be one of the most, um, one of the cities that celebrates Mexican Independence Day the hardest. Like, they go all out. Like, it's 
they're out in the streets downtown creating traffic and dancing in the streets. So I saw I that on it. TikTok. I saw <laughs> people were doing el, um, el caballo dorado. Is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah, dorado. And it's like people posting in the high-rise apartments, like, look at these people. You know, like there's traffic, there's music, there's mariachis. And I was like, that seems like so much fun. I was like, is there anything like that in Dallas? Like, where can I go find this here in Dallas? Nowhere. But that seemed really cool. Right. Yeah, and I love that. I totally love that. Um, but yeah, there's like little villages within like the city. Like you have a a village called Little Village, which is where a lot of Latinos, like the majority of Mexicans, really like live, and you know that community there. And then you have like Albany Park, and then you have like Cicero, um, and then you have you know like um, El, El Mo- Hermosa, and then you know this little. Every, we're everywhere you know um even though we're a bit like spread it out and you know a little segregated from each other but we're still out there you know and that's what I love about it that's really nice and I think I mean especially for us I mean we talked about like how important our community is where we live where we stay in us being comfortable with who we are and like how we carry on life in our you know, little knowledge of our immigration status, because a lot of the times, you know, being the only Hispanic in your classroom can be like traumatizing. Whereas, you know, being in a mix, you know, uh, culture or like with, like you said, you, you're not only like within your own community of like Latinos, Mexicanos, you're also like Ecuadorian and, you know, Salvadorian and all these things like that is so amazing. I think now as an adult, I grew up in Arizona and I've shared this of how like lonely it was to be in a um, predominantly white community and then um, you know now that I'm older I've met a Salvadorian friend and I was like going crazy like oh my god tell me about you know El Salvador tell me about your food Um, I did an interview with another guest and she's from Honduras and I'm like oh my god I've never met anyone it's like you're the first person so like I'm learning about all these other cultures I mean, and it's just so amazing to be able to interact with other people like you, but from different parts of the world. So it's it's been right. an amazing opportunity that I've been able to have now, but you grew up with this. So that's super, yes. super, super uh-huh. awesome. And, you know, coming back into like living your life here in America, coming in as a baby, did you struggle at all with like language or like, understanding like okay a lot of us were like I was in Mexico now I'm here like you feel the change you didn't go through a situation like that and that's the funny part because I kind of did you know I'm probably not as you know big as the ones that came here when they were a little older like my cousin came here when she was five so she kind of knew the change she she felt the change Versus me, like, I only felt the change because my, my home, my household was mainly Spanish speaking, was very cultural, you know, like, because my mom, she, till this day, she, she's not very fluent in English. So like, yo todavía le tengo que, you know, traducir muchas cosas. But the thing, another thing also with language is that my Spanish doesn't sound like Mexican Spanish all the time, you know, it kind of fluctuates, like, I have that, like, you know, that mix of Latin American Spanish with my Mexican Spanish, um, because I was, you know, I grew up with very different Spanish um, dialects. But um, so like, when I was, let's say, like, 
started kindergarten, I remember like, yeah, everything was mainly English in school. But as soon as I got home, Spanish only. Like, and then um, I remember in third grade, they tried to hold me back because my Spanish or my English, sorry, my English was not that great. Um, and then my mom went to the school and that she was like, can you explain to me why you're trying to hold back my child? But I was the one translating. <laughs> so was, my mom still didn't like fully comprehend English. Um, so then um, finally they were like, okay, well she can take summer school and then we'll pass her. And then so I took summer school. So I, I had an accent when I was, when I was speaking English, when I was younger. Um, just ma- because Spanish is still my first language, you know, so it's my native language. Um, but then, like, growing up, I was getting teased all the time about my accent, and kids are mean. Like, let me tell you, when I was yeah. in grade school, they would be like, they'll call me wetbag. Um, they call me a bunch of names, and then they'll be like, go back to your country. You don't belong here. And it was like really, it was really sad. And I never understood, like, I never understood what wetback meant. I was like, well, what is that? Like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm from here. Like, what are you talking about? Like back, you know, when I was little, I felt like I was born here, you know, like this, this, I don't understand why you're telling me to go back to a place where I don't even remember that I'm from, you know, I just know that I'm Mexican because at home, it's, you know, my culture, it's, the language we speak it's you know the stories that the parties you know that you know we all tell each other and stuff like that so um that was really difficult and then going on to high school like um that's where I saw a little more diversity with Latinos and I felt a little more free and then I was like this is where all the clubs come in right where it's like the Latino dancing club and you know you get into like all like these little groups and like you know the Spanish club or like yeah yeah so I loved it because I was able to like finally express who I really am you know like be down inside like family parties we dance like we were always dancing yes you know how to dance like racheras y cumbias um salsa Uh-huh. Bachata, yeah. girl, teach me. Yeah. I don't know how to dance. <laughs> yes. So we danced it all. It's apatiao. Todo eso, you know, like we danced it all. And then finally I get to high school and then like there's like a club for it. And I was like, yes, I love this, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that was my struggle with like feeling different and, you know, being mm-hmm because I was you know Mexican and back in the days in Chicago it wasn't popular to be Mexican like if you were Mexican you were trash pretty much that's how it was when I was little you know like don't tell anyone you're Mexican you're Puerto Rican because for some reason at that time Puerto Ricans were like the it thing and everybody wanted to be Puerto Rican which I I love my Puerto Rican culture, you know, people from Puerto Rico, I love them. But like, that's how it was. There was like such a rivalry or against Mexicans back in the day. And if you're a Mexican, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's how it was looked yeah. at, you know. Um, but I love and that's where also my identity crisis comes in. <laughs> you know, like throughout my life, there's always been like, you know, like having to hide who I am um, in many aspects 
aspects like in the aspects of like don't tell anybody you were born in Mexico you were born here and if, if anyone asks um you know and my mom didn't start telling me that until I was like in fifth grade because I mean I was brought here at this young age that I actually did feel like I was born here like I didn't know any different but then when I started, I was getting older and my mom started to see that I was able to like, you know, have those conversations with people. And then she goes like, if they ask, you're going here. And then, you know, like, and then she'll be like, in, in school, you only speak English, but at home, only Spanish. And it's, it was just such a like back and forth thing, not knowing, you know, like where I belong. That is a lot to process as a fifth grader like you would have been like 10 years old and like I bet you're probably confused as we were all like coming in and I think the fact that of not knowing right like where you come from really like why do I have to carry myself this way at 10 years old it's so hard to understand even the dangers of telling someone oh I was actually born in Mexico you know like which is why your parents protect you of like don't tell anyone and they start programming you again Mm -hmm. I talked about it in my like latest episode in Spanish was like you know they start installing that fear of like it's not okay to be Mexican when you're talking about the shame of being who you are it is and even it starts from our parents you know because our parents are afraid for us and I know and I mentioned it you know like in a way of my mom protecting me and my siblings she was also making me feel or the culture itself the situation itself made me feel ashamed of speaking Spanish of you know being free of being me and that is just like now as we're older we're like relearning new ways of identifying ourselves and exploring our own culture Mexican language our food our roots and who really am I you know like I'm decompressing a lot of the stuff that I've learned and and relearning all the stuff about you know like our Latino culture so yes I can totally relate to that if anybody listening to this show right now can relate to this please 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 let us know no you are not alone in this identity crisis and I mean I think we get hit with many identity crises throughout our livelihood our childhood up until adulthood but this one for sure hits home as you know a person that you know has grown up in the United States but wasn't really born here so yeah, your story mm-hmm. definitely um, is very relatable. And, you know, getting to the part where, like, at this point, you still don't know you're undocumented. Right. So I didn't know that I was undocumented until it was time to apply for college. So, you know, like in, in, in my high school, they offered programs where you can take classes and you get college credit for it. So then when you like dual college, credit. Yeah. I took some of those classes and then they also had programs where it's like you could graduate with your like dental assistant certification or your um, certified nurse assisting certification. So they have, they have these programs, you know, um, and then they also had a class where it's called jobs for Illinois undergrads, where it's like they teach us how to like build a resume and how to like get a job and, you know, how to like manage your bank account and so these high, this high school had all these resources, you know, and which was awesome, but it did lack resources in helping undocumented immigrants because when um, my, our advisor came up to us and they were like, okay, you know, these are the applications and 
she came up to me. She was like, you qualify for these schools. You should really put in an application. And then I went home and I started filling them out. And then it said social security number. And then I went up to my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, you know, like I'm applying to these colleges. I'm going to need a social security number. Do you have it? And she goes like, oh, pues mira, you know, la realidad es que tú no tienes uno. And I go like, what do you mean I don't have one? Everyone has one. Like, I have to have one. She goes like, bueno, tienes un tax ID number. Te puedo dar eso, puedes usar eso. And I go like, okay, yeah, sure. Just give me that, you know. And then I went back to school. And then the um, advisor was like, is this a social or is this a tax ID number? And then I told her, I was like, oh, it's just a tax ID number. Um, apparently, I don't have one, a social security number. And she goes like, oh, honey, like, you really need one in order to go to college. They won't accept you without it. And then she's like, how are you going to pay for it? And I was like, pay for it? Like, what do you mean pay for it? Like, it's not free? <laughs> she goes like, no, like, you know, college is like so and so amount a year, you know. So and she like started like talking to me and I was. I, it was just so overwhelming, you know, the fact it's like the first thing that came to my head was like, oh, shit, I'm not going to get to go to college. Like my future is done. And then I hit depression. I was just like, oh, I'm not going to go like to school with my friends. Like they're all going to go on and succeed without me. Whew, sorry. Those brought back memories. Uh, give me some time <laughs> you're fine I am feeling the same thing like I feel the little knot in my throat as you're telling me because it is such a relatable moment when they tell us you can't like you can't that is exactly word for word oh and in this case oh honey you can't do that and it's a huge realization that if anybody has ever heard those words we are an, a shock of like, what do you mean? You know, like I've been working so hard for this. I've been a straight A student. I've been, you know, not going to sleep because I'm working and I'm studying and I'm putting my heart and soul into all of this. And all of a sudden I can't, you know, like what? Yeah. That's like, oh man, that hurt. I remember it now. Like, um, and sorry, it's like the first time I talk about that story, actually, like I've never really talked about when I found out that I was undocumented. So probably that's why it hit me so hard. Yeah. It was like, woo. Yeah, I know you're fine. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the um, advisor told me, she was like, you, you're not going to be able to go to college. And then I went home and then my mom saw me crying. And then she was like, she started giving me that conversation. She's like, you know. The reality of it, like you know, tú no tienes papeles, tú no eres nacida aquí, tú eres de México. Yo te traje aquí a los dos años, pero yo luché mucho para que tú ven, nosotros vengamos aquí, tú tengas las oportunidades que todos los de los Estados Unidos tienen. And then at this point, I kind of like hated my mom for it. I was like, you should have just left me in Mexico. Like there is no point for me to be here. And then like. And then I just like, I blamed her for it, you know, like, I was like, I, I could have stayed with my grandma, like, and I probably would have had a way better life. Like, that kept going through my head when I was at that age, you know, like, because then it's like, I probably would didn't have to go through all the bullying that I went through, making me feel like I didn't belong, 
making me feel like, you know, two different people. Like I, I felt crazy at that moment where it's like, I always have to put up like a persona. Like I have two identities, you know? And then like, you know, as long as you work hard. So like, that's where the whole work hard mentality comes into play with Latinos. You know, it's like, you know, we don't come here to be lazy. We come here because we're fighting for like education. We're fighting for, you know, get better opportunities. But then I was just like, well, I'm undocumented. How am I going to take advantage of all these opportunities? And she goes like, well, you speak two languages. You know, that's a good opportunity. You have so many more doors that are opening to you. As long as, you know, you fight for it. She's like, siempre lucha, siempre trabaja duro, and keep your head up, you know? So I was like, all right, fine. You know, like I wiped my tears off and I was like, all right, well, what kind of life can I make up for myself now? You know, because in my head, I was already like, yeah, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a lawyer. You know, like at that time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I even took like law and everything. And I was like really into it. And then I was like, oh, well, I can't go to college. So never mind. So then I was like, okay, I started jumping from job to job. But the, then when I started, I got a job at the age of um, 16 because also, you know, being coming from a Mexican mother, she was like, oh, if you want to, if you want brand new shoes, you're going to have to work for it. And I was like, okay. And so I, what I basically did was just like teach little kids how to play sports. So I taught them how to play like soccer, football, baseball, softball, and it was after school. So that's when I was like, oh, okay, you know, like I still didn't know that I, I couldn't, you know, get a job. And then finally, when I had, I graduated high school, um, that's when I started applying for all these different jobs. And then they were all like, social security numbers, social security number. And I was like, oh, fuck, like, I don't have one. And I know the only jobs that I couldn't get were like hospital jobs because they do like a very thorough background check. Oh, yeah, At least here sure. in Chicago, they do, you know? Yeah. Um, I couldn't get like anything that had to do like with security or anything that needed like a very extensive background check. I couldn't get those kind of jobs because there is no, you know, social security number. That's how they run your background and all this stuff. Um, so I basically stayed to like working in like, you know, like little, um, stores city I worked at a lot of different jobs so that's where another thing it was like very unstable for me I didn't really have that stability where I was like okay let me get this job let me get my experience set. let me stay here no it was a I need to bounce to another job kind of thing wow yeah such a burden like that is so hard I mean I mean, and a lot of retail jobs might be easy to get, but a lot of them do take time. Like I applied to Target so many times. They haven't called me back. I mean, and this was just, you know, like for like, oh, let me, you know, do put some hours on the weekend or something like that. But like, it's, it's sometimes hard to get jobs. And especially when you're like already like out of hurry to like leave one job and start another. Like I couldn't imagine yeah. 
I mean, they tell you and they tell you, don't be hopping around jobs. You can't be, you know, hopping between jobs and put that in your resume. Like that's not good. Um, yeah. And this is the HR of me talking, but you know, like yeah. <laughs> we get taught these things in school and stuff, you know, like you need to have um, stability and you need to have tenure in a job or else people are not going to watch you. Um, but even then, before we move on, you know, in, in, in your story with working, you graduated high school. I mean, how was that? Like, obviously, at this point, you already knew you were undocumented. You were going through um, your last few years of school and you graduated and you accepted the fact that I'm not going to college. Was that it for you at that point? Yeah, that was pretty much it. I kind of like just, I learned to accept it that I wasn't going to be able to further my education. Um, that's another thing where I was like, my high school really lacked the resources, where it's like, I could have applied to some scholarships, um, but the scholarships that she kept giving me, I didn't qualify for. And then the scholarship that I did get, it ended up getting taken away because I didn't have a social security number. And um, at that point, I was just like, well, okay, you know, like, fuck it, I guess I'm just gonna work hard for the rest of my life, you know? And, you know, get married one day have kids and I guess you know live life like that you know and then um so yeah I just and then I got into dentistry so dentistry was where I is one of the jobs that I was able to keep consistent it was a dental assistant job so I I came on my cousin actually helped me get that job because she's also undocumented but she always like knew she wanted to do dentistry so like she goes like hey you know like I'll get you a job here. It's in the medical field. I don't know if you'll like it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. You know, at this point, I was like, I just need some stability. Like, I just, I was so tired of jumping around. I took it and I learned a lot. And in high school, my mom is like, oh, ¿por qué no te pones enfermera? You should be a nurse. You know, you'll be good at being a nurse. And she was always like, be a nurse, be a nurse. And in my head is like, well, I can't, you know, no tengo papeles, no puedo, no me dejan, you know. <laughs> so then she goes like, wait, okay, pues, I buscate algo, you know. And I'm like, all right, fine. So I found dentistry. And then I was able to stay in the dental field for about 10 years. And yeah. That's so a long I time. Got, yeah. This is yeah, post I, high school, 10 years yeah, after mm-hmm. high school. Yeah, I, yeah, I stayed on it for that long. Um, but I did other things in between, you know. But um, I think I was 25 when uh, President Obama passed the DACA policy. So that's why, like, I, you know, it took me such a long time to get to nursing, you know, because, yeah. you know, while everything was happening, I was already, like, in my 20s, you know. So now I'm 25 years old and, you know, like, there's no... I think I was 25. I don't remember exactly, but I know I was like with 25, 26 around there. And then uh, President Obama passed the DACA Act. And oh my God, the tears that came flooding down my face, like me and my mom were like, yes, finally, you know, like we don't have to be undercover anymore. Like I can finally go to school and pursue the career I want. You know, it was, it was just such a happy moment. It was amazing. Like I was like, yes, I felt so relieved. You know, because I was like, yes, I now I feel like I am like starting to like come back to like I do belong here, you know, like 
this is where I'm meant to be. You know, this is my home. I was raised here. Like my English is really good, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was amazing. And then as soon as like it passed and as, as soon as we were able to apply for it, me and my mom went straight to uh, a representative's office, which is Luis Gutierrez. And He's not in office anymore, but we loved him so much. He's a Puerto Rican representative in Illinois, and or was no, still is because you know once you go into it, you will always be part of that. Um, but he's a, an activist for Latino people, especially Mexicans, and he was always for you know helping the Latino immigration. Um, and as soon as they passed, he set up an office where like. Um, we can go and apply and it was free of charge. So they, uh, they filled out our applications for us and then they mailed it. And then, you know, like, they're like, you should receive your card in so-and-so amount of time. And so for like years after that, I would always go to the Luis Gutierrez office and they would like fill out my paperwork and I never had to pay a fee. Well, only the, the obvious the four, fee, you know, four ninety five. Yeah. 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 But other than that, I didn't have to pay any extra fees. And that was amazing. Like, I love that about this representative. Um, but he's no longer in office and they took his office down, which oh, is kind of no. sad. Then I had to learn how to file it on my own. And, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, how do you do this? What if I get denied? Like, mm-hmm. it was just a scary thing. Which but the application, learned- depending on the case that you have, might be an easy process right like you don't have a lot of paperwork you just fill out a few couple pages but and then you have to have everything the same consistent to your previous one so just like a single error can like really make or break your application and I've I've been in the same boat as you where like previously I had help from like organizations or like you know free clinics DACA clinics that they have Mm -hmm. and they set up and up until now that I haven't been able to find some I'm just like I'm doing this by myself and it's so scary I think it makes the process too even more overwhelming on us yeah because it's on us if this application doesn't get approved like it was me it was my fault I did something wrong and yeah the paranoia kicks in for sure oh yeah definitely Um, the good thing was that they had given me a copy of my original application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was able to just like copy everything to the exact. So that's why I remember I had this conversation with you where you were like, oh, you know, you have to write a paragraph. And I was like, what? I never wrote a paragraph. Like, holy snap, like, am I doing this wrong? Like, because on my original application, the representative didn't put down a whole paragraph. She kind of, well, the person who helped me, she kind of just asked me, she was like, okay, why do you want to stay here? And I was like, well, because I want to go to school and become a nurse. And that's li- literally everything that I had written on that paragraph part, go to school, become a nurse. And that was it. So then um, finally, when I did, you know, I got my nursing degree um, and I had to come to this, you know, I can't be like, go to school and become a nurse because I'm already a nurse. And I just changed it to like, to continue to work in critical care, help my community, and keep my nursing degree, you know, going, you know, stuff like that. But it was never a whole paragraph. Like, I just kept it short and sweet and then sent it off. To the point. No, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was like, wait, what? You get away with just, I mean, not that you get away, but like, I was taught differently where like, you need to pour your like, lifelong story. Like, hey, I need work. 
because of this. Like I am the only financial, um, the sole provider in my family, you know, like I have expenses, I am going to school. Like you literally tell them everything because from what I was told, you want them to know that you really do need this, you know, work permit. So I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I'll, I mean, I was, I was going to be like, I'll try that next time, but no, <laughs> I think I'll no. stick to my paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> stick to the way you were taught, you know, like if, yeah. if that's what, how you've been doing it and that's how it's been working, keep doing it. You know, like for me, I guess I can add a little more. I never heard to add. So. Yeah. True. <laughs> well, next yeah. Time. well hopefully see. there, you know, there is the no next, next time. Yeah. Right. Yes. The next one will be for the permanent residency. Yes. Let's manifest. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so at this point, 10 years later, mind you, a lot of us that got DACA for the first time were like in our high school years, right? Like we didn't know what DACA was going to mean for our lives because even while we were undocumented, we were still students in school. Like we didn't have our future already laid out for us. As opposed to your story, being 25, 26, you've already been a full grown adult. At this point, your parents really didn't file DACA for you. You filed it for yourself because you're over age. And within the DACA program, you had to be um, uh, under 30 years old. So you barely made that mark. I met so many people that were like 30 or 31 Mm -hmm. and they just couldn't. They didn't make the the metric on the age. You were approaching it like you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm 25 right now. And to have imagined going, you know, what, 10 years of being undocumented as an adult, that is scary. I mean, even like when there was a lapse in my DACA because my renewal came in after and my expiration came in first, I was undocumented for what, like two months. And that was like, that brought me back again. We were talking about the depression. We're talking about like the, like everything that comes to your mind when you're like, damn, like I have nothing going for me. But you were out there hustling. You're telling me you were like out there working. And like when you are told you have to work hard, you really did. Yeah, definitely. Like, because I also had to help my mom pay rent, you know, like it wasn't like I was living at her house for free. Like that that doesn't happen in a Mexican household. Like, no, you're going to get up and you're going to work hard and you're going to help me pay these bills because I'm not busting my ass off forever, you know? Yeah. I know. So that's a lot. But I mean, even in your own mental health, I think about that. And just the little lapse of like, moments when we talked about earlier, like, there's a lot of moments that hit, and they're so hard to even talk about, like, on a personal level, because only we know our struggles, only we know how we feel about these situations. But, you know, I cannot imagine if I break down now that I'm documented, and that I'm like, still stressed, I cannot imagine going through like your early 20s your you know coming out of high school and still feeling that way did you ever talk about it with anyone did you have your support system at that time saying hey I'm undocumented and this sucks no I actually didn't come out no I kept it a secret <laughs> I still kept it a secret even throughout nursing school I didn't let anybody know that I was undocumented just because I didn't want anybody to like judge me because people are very judgmental like let's put it out there you know they're they're gonna I hate to say it but I've come across some people Americans 
um, I'm not going to specifically say colors, but Americans who have been like, oh, you're undocumented. You don't deserve to um, have the high degree. You know, you don't deserve to have the same education as like they just think that because we're undocumented, we don't deserve to be at the same level as them. And, and I've met so many people like that. And it's very heartbreaking to see that. So like to protect my energy, I just would just not even talk about it and then also I didn't want it I didn't want them to feel that it's so political because once you start talking about being undocumented all of out of a sudden it becomes so political and nobody wants to talk about it you know um but that's why now that I am a nurse and being through everything that I've been through as a nurse I actually want to come out and start talking about it like this is so important like and then your podcast is also like showed me that there's so many of us out there that I am really not alone, you know, because I felt alone for such a long time, you know, like, oh my God, like, am I the only one that's undocumented? Like, are there only a little bit of us and we're just like out there hiding, you know, like, I just didn't know. And then now we're all like, hey, we're here, we're here to stay and we're going to show you that we can be just as good or even better, you know? which is awesome. And it's amazing. And I just love that energy, you know, like, that's something that I feel the community, the Latino community and immigration community really needs, you know, to like, move forward. Like, you know, like, we all just find each other, you know, get together and build that power, you know, yeah, it's that empowerment for me. And that was exactly, exactly like, I'm getting teary as you're telling me, because that's exactly the goal of this, this podcast. That was what brought me here of like, people need to be aware that there is other people like them going through the same things. And for the longest time that we have never been able to talk about it, this is the time to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here for you if you need someone to talk to, because even in our own little group of people and, and even like, you know, you were telling me you were afraid of even mentioning it to anyone in a public setting. And it's kind of, again, being ashamed of who you are, hiding a piece of you. It's like this big old secret that it does hurt when you can't express yourself and you're trying to be somebody else. Like you're trying to be fully like, yeah, you know, like I've heard many people say like, when they ask me, where are you from? And there's that panic from inside of like, oh my gosh, do I say I'm from here? Do I say I'm from Mexico? You know what? No, I'm going to say I'm from here. And then you start creating this whole like persona. Like it's a double identity of like, you try to push who you really are, your history, your stories, your, your successes, and just put a like a, a, a front and say no mm-hmm. you know like my my life is perfect I'm great you know I'm American I'm I'm you know like and that's what like inspires everyone to continue and be comfortable with their own story like and even then even as you and I I mean are coming on and, and sharing there's still so many people that haven't made that breakthrough of setting themselves free and coming out of the shadows. So there's still a lot of work and progress to do within our own community, within our own DACA recipients, our own dreamers, because a lot of them are still afraid to be themselves. Yes, definitely. And I feel like the more we come out, the more of them will start coming out too, you know, where it's like, okay, you know, like, she had it worse than I did mm-hmm. maybe mine won't, won't be so bad let right. me come out you know like yeah. so it, it it definitely takes start a big group of people to you know come and be like it's okay you know like 
it's okay you know like you will be okay and also like I think because there's it depending on like the state you live in you have to be so careful like luckily I've been really I've been really blessed and I'm really grateful that I live in a city and a state that accepts you know immigrants but you still find your little pockets of racism here you know you there's still people who are you know like if you work enough because I also worked in the restaurant industry you know <laughs> so like you still meet a lot of these people where like they treat you bad just because you're undocumented and you're you're a dishwasher you know or like they take advantage of you because they know you're undocumented yeah so you know it's it's a sad thing to see but then also it's like you know seeing us coming out and empowering each other and having a voice is also you know very empowering so that's awesome that's awesome thank you and thank you for sharing this space with me doing exactly just that um and so as we're you know going through your story again you're telling me um you went through dental school not school you you did go through like a whole job as a dental assistant so that's another thing about being an undocumented person where it's like you can get these jobs for cheap labor you know it's like because I didn't have a certification and you know um they weren't paying me it wasn't like under the table because I was still getting a check but it was like it was like a handwritten check um so then uh yeah so I was able to do that um and then they were only paying me so like a normal dental assistant who has a certification would be getting paid like $18 an hour. I was only getting paid 12, you know, and then I would work my way up to that $18 an hour based on how hard I worked, based on how good I was, you know, based, based on, on how like, right, exactly. When people who had the certification and education, starting pay was 18 an hour. As it right. is, yeah. Yeah, so... That's why I stayed so long with it because it's like, okay, this, you know, makes me look educated. Like when I hear people talk about dental, it's like, I know so much about that. I read books on my own. Like I would like the dentist had books from like his university. So I would grab those books and I would flip to pages based on the case that we would see that day. I'd take notes. Basically, I was like schooling myself on the dental field. And I learned so much and I loved it. And then finally, when I got my DACA, he goes like, what's your next step? And then I was like, I don't know. Like, he goes like, you can go to school now. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll apply to school. And he goes like, you're going to dentistry school, right? And I go like, yeah, you know, like I've been in dentistry for such a long time. Like, let me just try it out. So then when I went to school to enroll, that's when like I felt another wall hit where it's like okay you know like you can go to school now but you don't qualify for financial aid and I was like what okay I'll get a loan no you don't qualify for a loan you need a a U.S. citizen co-signer with good credit and then I was just like what like okay so you're telling me I can go to school but the only way I can pay for it is if I do it out of pocket or scholarship and I go like, okay, well, scholarship can't deny me now because I have a social security number, right? But a lot of scholarships are always um, geared towards like high school graduates. So, okay, you get thrown into this pool, 
school, right? And you're like, okay, I'm not a high school graduate, so you're disqualified from all these other um, uh, scholarships. And then you put, okay, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and then it like narrows down even more. And then you just put more and more, you go through that list and it, so you get narrowed, narrowed and narrowed to the amount where you only have a really small amount of scholarships that you can apply to. And it made it so hard because, okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one applying to these scholarships. I'm competing against so many people, you know? And then when you get to the qualifications, it's like, you must be a U.S. citizen, must be a U.S. citizen. And I'm just like, what the heck? Like, okay, I'm not a U.S. citizen, but I'm not a permanent resident either. So that's where like, that guy is like a temporary thing. It's not a permanent thing. Like, I don't have legal status on paper, anything, you know, like, it's just, I'm going to like, right of protection where it's like okay i'm gonna let you live kind of like a US citizen but i'm gonna take away all the help that you can get you can if i when um i got my go for my job in june because my doctor expired because it was delayed as a nurse i was let go from you went job. through the same thing yeah i went through the same thing i went through the same thing last year and uh, like I was just waiting and I told my job and I was like, you know, it's coming, it's coming. They're like, you know, if it's expired, you can't keep you here, you know, cause I get it. It's a big liability for the company, you know, but um, yeah. So like I went through that part where it's like, I couldn't even file for Cobra insurance because I don't have a legal status. My so I can't use my social security you know, when it's expired, you know, because then I could get penalized for it. So it's, it's just like, okay, well, no, we need a more permanent solution. Like you start realizing that DACA, yes, I'm grateful for it. It's amazing because it's given me so many opportunities, but at the same time, it doesn't allow me to live really as a like permanent residency or as a U.S. citizen in the United States. Another thing, it's like I can't travel outside of the country. Like I have to stay within the state, and you just always have to be careful. Like you can't, you know, do crazy things that you know U.S. citizens can do, like drink and drive, which is you shouldn't do. But I mean, a lot of U.S. citizens do. But like if you do and you get caught, like you, your dog gets taken away automatically. Like. You know, even for a tra traffic stop, you can't, like, get a ticket for, you know, passing a red light. You can't, anything little, like, they'll just target you and they'll be like, oh, you're DACA. They'll put something against your, on your record that shows on your next background check and then they deny you. It's like, you really have to be really careful when you're under DACA. Yeah, it's a lot of us to... I think it's not a burden, uh, not, uh, not to call it a burden, but I think it's something that is instilled in us. Like we have to walk a straight line. Like we cannot, like we have to be perfect. And that perfect yeah. word is like a stretch of like how serious it is to be in the DACA program. Because like, exactly as you mentioned, even a traffic ticket can like make or break your, your next application and everything. And so being in the DACA program, 
it's great when we have the opportunity to come out of the shadows and like really like feel free to like apply for a job and the opportunities it gave you like look at you going to school and like applying and like now you have this opportunity but yet it still limits you mm-hmm. limits you so much in what you can do with your life and especially at the age of where like we're grown-ups like when DACA came in it was intended for in- undocumented youth right? Mm-hmm. Like in documented youth, people that got here before the age of 16, you know, you had to have been 16 years old to qualify for DACA. So it's targeting a lot of like kids like us, like you and me at the age of 16. But fast forward at the age of 25, you need this to survive, to live, to continue with your life in the United mm-hmm. States. And so the pressure of DACA is even greater now, because not only do you not depend on it to like drive, you depend on your social for everything because our whole like persona comes down to a number. We are just a number here in the States. And so if we don't have a social security number, you basically might as well may not be a person, right? Like, like at this point, we can't get any benefits. We can't do anything without a social, um, we can't work. And like, Mm -hmm. that is just like the biggest thing of like, our whole life is paused whenever we don't have DACA or like, if it comes to that point, it's like, such a big thing to go through and explain to you that people normal people u.s citizens or even residents don't have to go through a similar process of every two years you go through this damn situation yeah and every single time that deadline comes my heart's like my anxiety level goes up my heart races I start crying out of nowhere like just sporadic moments where I start crying and then my boyfriend will be like what's going on I'm like my god my expiration date's coming I'm freaking out he's like everything's gonna be fine everything's gonna be fine I'm like no you don't get it I can be deported because they know where I live now like they have my fingerprints I'm no longer undercover No, I know it's such a hard thing to go through and we can definitely get into yeah. that um, in, in detail. But as you were telling us, I mean, you're looking at the possibility of going to school. Obviously, you are super excited and it's something that you've been wanting to do. You get to the point where like now I have to pay for it. And that's a lot of money. Going to school is expensive. And when you don't have the help of like loans, even loans is like like a whole different conversation. But like you know, you don't have the financial aid from like the federal government because as being DACA recipients, we don't get any help. Um, Scholarships are also very limited to people like us, right? Because you have to not only have good grades or be in school, or like you mentioned, you know, you were already out of school for about 10 years. And then, um, you know, you have to uh, still meet certain criteria for these scholarships. And at this point, you didn't see a lot of things that would help you. How did you get through that? Yeah, that was definitely a big like, oh man, like I have to sit down and actually journal like my situation because I couldn't like thinking about it. I was just like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like, this is impossible. Like I'm not going to be able to pay $55,000 out of pocket. And you know, and then, so um, I started to look at different routes of how to become a nurse or like, just like, you know, sitting down, writing down, like doing lots of research. I spent so much time doing research on like the different routes I can take to actually get to where I want to be, you know? And that's why I always say like, it's never impossible. Like if you feel like you've hit a rock or a wall or something, like 
you can get past it. You will find a way to reach your goals, no matter what, you know, like it's always about, you know, the will, the thrive that you have and how bad you want it. Like at this moment, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go back to that time in high school where I felt defeated and I was told you can't do it. No, like I was like, I got a social security now. I'm going to fucking push through and I'm going to get this done, you know? Like no matter like how hard it is, no matter, you know, like what I have to do, like I'm going to do it. So I started like applying for as many scholarships as I could get. And then I actually got um, a job in the hospital finally where I was like yes I can finally work in a hospital like it was amazing I felt so excited so I started in the laboratory as a lab tech and then you know like because the lab techs they go to like different units on the hospital to draw blood and one time I ended up uh, drawing blood in the ER and I love the atmosphere I love you know everybody in the ER like everybody works together fast paced you know everybody's so nice like it's just cool you know like so then I ended up applying to an ER position as an ER tech um but you need your CNA certification to get into an ER tech position so I was like all right let's do this I looked up at at my community college how long the CNA program is it was only like one summer like during summer vacation I ended up taking that summer class boom, got my CNA, and then I applied to the job, and then I got it, and I started working. I was like, okay, based on how much I get paid, I can make this amount of money every two weeks, and then um, with my school application, because I ended up applying to nursing school, um, I actually got denied from one, Um, but then I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'll apply. There's another way, because I applied to, like, the four-year college degree, and I got the knife from that. So I was like, all right, it's okay. You know, like, let's find a different route. So then what I did was I ended up um, going to community college. I got my prereq. And then there's uh, an accelerated program in my city who um, was able to accept students with, as long as they had their prereqs um, for nursing they got accepted into the accelerated program. So the nursing program was only like um, 14 months, I believe. because it was a whole year. And then I graduated four months after December. So I graduated in April. So it was like really fast paced, you know? But um, the whole money situation was, it, it hit hard. Like a couple of times I had to ask my aunt to lend me like $1,000 you know, just so I can cover that month. Because if you didn't pay, they weren't going to let you take the next semester. Like, you didn't pay, you, you're you done. You know, you, you'll have to wait until you have more funds. So what I had, my plan was, okay, once I got my prereqs, I told my mom, I was like, hey, mom, I got into this accelerated program nursing school. It's $55,000. <laughs> and she goes like, yeah, like, we don't have that kind of money. And I go like, no, I know, I know we don't, but this is my plan. Like, you know, like I get paid this amount of money at work. I work full time, I'll get a part-time job. And then that will help cover for um, like this month and this month and this month. Cause like, she goes like, okay, you don't have to pay rent, but just pay like the phone bill and then pay for your own car and pay for your own gas and pay for your, you know, Um, And she goes like, and don't worry about food, you know, like you'll have food here at the house. 
So I was like, all right, so I, I got that covered. Um, so then I had to worry about school, like, oh my God, is my school gonna let me pay? Like, how are they gonna work things out with me? And they were like, okay, you know, we'll do a payment plan. So every month, you know, you'll pay this amount. So I think every month I had to pay around $2,500 a month. Oh my yeah. gosh, that is so, a lot. Yeah, to like be able to keep up, you know, to graduate classes. on time. Yeah. So, and this was an accelerated program, so it went fast. Um, but they had the evening program, which was awesome because that meant I could work during the days and then go to school during the night. And then another thing that I loved about working in the ER is that the schedule was so flexible. Like I can work a 12 hour shift and then an eight hour shift and then a 12 hour shift and then pick up hours wherever, you know. Um, so I would like work on my days off. I, work, I would work two jobs on my days off and then go to school and work on my other days. So I was so busy. And then on top of that, I had to learn how to manage clinical. So when clinicals came around, I had worked, I was working in the two ERs and then I had um, my clinical assignment and I had school. So it was like, I never slept. Like I would go, I would go home, eat, uh, study, take a nap, wake up and do it all over again. Like I was running at some days I was running on like three hours of sleep, like but, you know, once I graduated, once I got to that, you know, my graduation, like, I was like, wow, like, I fucking did it, you know, and I couldn't have done it without the support of my family, honestly, like my family, my boyfriend also helped me get through it because there is you had a where, boyfriend like, in the middle of everything that you were going through. Yeah, but he was in school, too. So that's why it worked out like he understood, you know, so like. Like he would help me to like, if like I was, I didn't have time to make lunch or anything, he'll like drop off lunch. Like, so that was nice. That's one of the pluses about having a boyfriend. It's like, they'll drop off food. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. But I mean, you're telling me as you're, you're telling me all of these things, I'm picturing it in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like, were you okay yeah. mentally, physically, emotionally? That sounds Yes, it sounds beautiful. Like you were doing all these things, but like in reality, it was a lot, a lot that you were putting yourself up to, not only like financially, like that, just thinking money, money is already a stressor. School, you have to get good grades. Obviously, you're spending this money, so you have to really try and get good grades and be good at school. You have to keep your job so you can continue to pay to go to school. And at that, you're working three jobs full-time, part-time school, sleep, boyfriend, life, family. When did you take care of you? It was hard because I, I would go months without realizing that I didn't have time for me. So honestly, I didn't really, I didn't spend time for me. Like the only time I had for myself was my drive, like whatever, my drive from here to there or um, sleep showers oh my god showers my showers were my holy my holy safe <laughs> that I did all my praying in the showers if I had to work out a little bit to get some stress out I would work out in the shower 
like um, <laughs> how do you I, do that how big is your shower I, first of all <laughs> <laughs> right and then it's like oh my god I don't have time to eat sleep and shower what can I do can I just do all of them at the same time <laughs> so like there was time where I was like showering and just snacking at the same time while I had a lecture playing on my phone <laughs> you know you got to do what you got to do sometimes <laughs> but that is a lot but yeah And as you mentioned, the support, I mean, your family was supportive, your boyfriend was supportive, you used to have that help that propelled you to get to where you needed to get. But like, looking back, do you feel like you regret anything putting so much on your plate at that point? No, actually, like, um, I don't regret it, because I graduated with no school debt. You know, like, I was like, now, like, when I work, I don't have to worry about paying loans. Like when I work, that money is for me, you know, I can save it to buy a house, I can invest it, I can, you know, buy a new car, I can, you know, travel, well, obviously within the state. But still, you know, like, that was one, one of the big benefits about having to pay for my own school. Like, not only did it teach me like I can do anything like and if somebody ever feels like this is too hard there's it's impossible I can't pay 55,000 out of pocket like it can be done like you just have to work hard like there's going to be moments where you're going to break down and you're going to be like I can't this is too much like I don't think I can handle it like it's not for me like I'm not going to be able to reach that goal like look at yourself and think about how bad you want your goal and trust me once you remember the main reason why you started what you started, you're just going to propel yourself. You're going to be like, no, I'm going to do this. Think about like in the future, like it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's hard now, but it's going to be all worth it. And just believe in yourself. Like that's another thing. It's like you really have to believe in yourself. And a lot of manifestation, like I did a lot of journaling during the time too. Like before I would go to sleep, I would sometimes like write down like, this is what, you know, I am Alva, BSN, you know, RN, I am this, you know, like, really believe in yourself. That is such a beautiful message that I hope everyone listening and even myself, like we take on, you know, um, celebrating ourselves, because we go through a lot of hard stuff, like, really, like everything that we're uncovering through your story and through everyone that has shared, you know, their experience in our situation there's a lot to be celebrated for our hard work. And I'm, as you're telling me all of this, I'm thinking back to the words of your mom. I'm sorry you're undocumented, but you have to work hard. Tienes que luchar. Like Mm -hmm. it's on you. And as much as those words are hurting, like, what do you mean? Like, why am I in this situation? And the why, like, why, you know, poor me and oh my gosh. But at the same time, you're like, no, I'm going to have to work hard. And you really did work hard. Like you really, really, really did. And then looking back, now I mean look at yourself going through school debt-free getting your did you get your BSN right there and there through that program yeah wow yeah BSN mm-hmm. yay we're celebrating yay. we're clapping <laughs> that is a huge huge accomplishment and such a beautiful example of yes 
si se puede, and yes. you to work for it. You, you really do got to put in the work. Nothing, and this is generic to everyone. Nothing's going to come to you. Nothing's going to be like, here you go. Or, hey, mm -hmm. nothing, like we say, nothing is going to come knocking at your door. Like, here's this opportunity for you. You have to go creating these opportunities for yourself. And yes, that implies no sleep, implies working two, three jobs, but you did it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like even like when you when you go on Instagram or social media and you see like all these rich people talk about like, oh, you know, like if you want to be successful, you got to, you know, be comfortable with no sleep or, you know, like be comfortable with being in uncomfortable places. And, you know, like and they speak the truth, you know, like it's not always easy, but if, as long as you have a vision and you believe in it, you can get yourself to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's such, such a beautiful story. And I know we're not even halfway done because now you've graduated as a nurse, mind you, uh -huh. what was that feeling like going through graduation? I mean, obviously you graduated, you did school a lot, you know, older than most people go through school. And then you're here, you know, getting your degree. I'm imagining your mom is there with you, your family that helped you. What was that emotion of, I, graduated I have this document saying you know Alba BSN RN like what did that feel like honestly let me tell you I graduated during the, pandem the pandemic so <laughs> I didn't get a graduation um and it was when COVID first hit so I was we were actually um just trying to wrap our hands around like how to stay safe you know like so um our last semester was online and then uh, we did everything else online. They gave us our authorization to test. And then um, I studied really hard. I worked, I studied, you know, and then I was able to take my NCLEX um, in Colorado. The reason why I couldn't take it in the Midwest was because there, there was a high demand for nurses because of COVID that all the nurses that had graduated before me were already in line to take that NCLEX so they could jump into the workforce and start working COVID, you know? So there were, it was really hard to find a test date. And then finally I was like, you know what, let me do Colorado because Colorado's beautiful. They have so many hiking um, trails, the mountains, everything. And I just felt like, you know, I aligned it kind of like I was like I'm gonna take it on July 14th because 14th is my favorite number and seven's a lucky number oh my gosh <laughs> so like, and, yeah and I was like and you know there's so much nature and what better way than to connect with nature you know so to kind of relax me and then be prepared for the test so and then also I had an ICU position offered to me before I even graduated So I had a job lined up for me. So I had no time to even stop and think and be like, oh, well, I'm gonna take a vacation, you know, like that's, and also like, there's nothing wrong with taking time off. Like I always encourage people, especially nursing students that once you graduate, if nursing school really did drain you so much, take that time off for yourself. Because I know in nursing school, you barely have time for yourself, you know? So if you need it, take it, you know? But for me, I was depending so much of like, no, my doc is going to expire. I need to show that I'm valuable. You know, like that was my mentality. Like I got to show my community that they need me. So 
So I, I can't stop. I can't take a break. I got to go take this test. I got to jump into the COVID workforce. I got to save these people in my community. You know, like I was just like, you know, running to it, you know? And then, um, so yeah, my graduation was mostly just me fearing that I was going to contract, you know, COVID or that I was going to bring it home to my family. And um, I was like, we'll celebrate later. Wow. That's a hard, hard feeling. I mean, in the midst of all the celebration, you're also worried. I mean, mind you, you're going to get into a job that is like the forefront of this pandemic. And that is already something hard to process because you worked so hard to be a nurse. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. even your own life is at risk being in this profession. And as much as you love it, you're also concerned about family members. You're also concerned about your own health conditions. You're only, you know, a person and you've already had the mission of like, like you said, I have to be here. This is my job. Thankfully, it sounds like it's your calling because you've been very dedicated to it. Um, So you were for sure, you know, like one of those that was like, I'm here for a reason. I'm going to help and I'm going to do what I can. I mean, on the contrary, I know COVID has done a number on so many people of just like mentally, physically nursing for it. I work in the healthcare field in, in nursing, right? Like I work with LVNs, RNs, and it's taken a toll on your own personal well-being as well. So that is a lot to even mentalize coming up to graduation. Mind you, you already had a job lined up, which again, all of that sounds just so beautiful of like how opportunities did open up for you and you were ready to go. So passing mm-hmm. your NCLEX, getting to your job, being an ICU nurse, that is like, how is that? Like, I imagine Grey's Anatomy, you know, I imagine, <laughs> I mean, I've never been, you know, like in the healthcare field that way. I work in home health, but um, I can only imagine, you know, like the excitement, the thrill, the intensity of it, uh, just in a, you know, quick snip of what is it on a day-to-day? Like, what do you love about it? I love is being able to have that time to communicate with my patients, you know, really build a special bond between you and them. Because in the ICU, some of them are intubated and they can't talk to you, but they can hear you. So every day you just go in there and you're like, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to help this patient feel good. And I know it's a shitty place where they are but it's okay because you know we're gonna get through this day you know like I'm gonna do everything I can my knowledge my power to make sure this patient is comfortable understands the procedures that are going on understands what's happening at the moment I'm gonna make sure this patient can communicate with me how they are feeling because I feel most of the time we're nurses and uh, doctors, we're so wrapped into into like procedures, like, okay, I, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. And we completely forget to just like take that five minutes to just ask your patient, like, how are you feeling today? Like, I know, I know you probably don't feel great, but like, really, how are you feeling? Like, let me know your emotions. Like, I know how like you have pain and this and that, but like, tell me like, you with your family, you know, like, and especially during COVID, my God, family was not allowed in the ICU because we had COVID overflow patients. So our unit was like half COVID and half trauma because I did trauma ICU. So any like traumatic event, like car accident, you know, anything like that, like we would get those patients. Um, But I just like always made sure that I did the best I could do. And like even in ICU at 
in night shift because I did night shift or still do night shift. Um, but in the ICU, we bathe our patients at night and I want to make sure like, okay, you know, like I'm going to make sure, you know, I give them a massage on their back, you know, give them that extra hair comb to make them look good and presentable, you know, because at that time we were only doing Zoom calls for families. So I wanted to make sure they look good on the Zoom call and we were able to like cover, make sure the bed sheets are nice and clean. And, you know, it, it's definitely a hard job. And in the ICU, um, we don't always get CNAs. And let me tell you, I want CNAs so bad on my unit because it's just so hard to do everything on your own, you know? And I know a lot of nurses that don't really appreciate their CNAs, but let me tell you, CNAs are awesome. That's cool. That speaks to like not only your mission as a clinician, right? As a nurse, if there's any nurses or if you're interested in the nursing field and you're listening to this, I mean, I hope you really do take it to heart that this is not just a nine to five job, which I don't think it's a nine to five job anyway. It's like a eight to eight job or whatever, you know, Um, but this is more, I mean, that's why it says it is a calling, right? Because not only are you like a clinician where you're talking about like, I'm a nurse, I need to do all these nursing things. You are a person and taking Mm -hmm. that into consideration as far as like, I'm here to help people and I'm here to help people feel better. Like that speaks volumes to like what you're doing as a nurse, not only as an employee of this hospital, as a, you know, person, as an essential worker in this pandemic, like you are really, really trying out there to look out for your community and like, look out for people just humanizing everyone, you know, and like, we're all in this together. So props to you for that. Like, that's just amazing. And as you've already mentioned, fast forward into this, you know, DACA story, your job was threatened. I mean, you lost your job in the middle of this pandemic over your DACA. Yeah. So, oh, that was this year. Oh man, I was trying to push it so far away. That was this (laughs) year. Oh my gosh. It's so recent. Yeah. So this year in April, um, I, well, obviously, you know, you know, you get a letter saying like your doctor's about to expire. You need to apply. Um, so I applied and I applied, I believed within the time that I needed to, you know, so they can reach it in time and process it in time. And I guess because of COVID, everything got delayed. So my job was sending me that email like, hey, we need to uh, update your paperwork, make sure you email us this, this, and this. And um, it got to the point where my DACA expired and I had to talk to my manager and my manager's like, well, you know, the position will always be here. Let us know when you're, you get your um, permit back and we'll jumpstart you right back. It, it'll be as if you never left. Um, so my manager was amazing. Um, but I was fighting it so hard. I was like working through every loophole. I was trying to get in contact with a lot of lawyers. And the thing that I noticed is that lawyers were telling me no, because you're C33, so you don't qualify for that extension. But there's this group on Facebook that it's like uh, DACA for RNs on Facebook. And I read a lot of their um, experiences and some HRs were accepting their extension and I was just like wow that's that's crazy because my job was really adamant we're like no you don't qualify and I was trying to even like oh look there could be a typo here if there's a typo here like I could probably get away with it but no they 
their their legal team was really good at like saying like no you know this I guess because they could get fined or something like that they were like unfortunately we can't so it'll be and then I was asking questions like how's this gonna look on my you know on my resume my applications like are you guys gonna state that I was terminated like you know like what's it gonna say like you know, and they're like, no, you know, that's personal information. We don't disclose that type of information. The only thing we can say is that you did work here from this day to this day, and that's it. I was like, okay, good. So I was off for a whole month with nothing. And it was like the one thing that I feared the most because then I can't do anything. And I know a lot of families go through with like, how am I going to get money to pay for this stuff? You know, like, and I know that's one of the biggest fears luckily that I was able to work as a nurse I was able to save a lot of my money so when I was offered that month all I did was a lot of self-reflection you know like I it was like it's kind of like God put me in that situation to tell me like hey you've worked so hard and you've never taken time off yeah like God was like this is your break take it you know like just enjoy this month off and I know a lot of people were like, yeah, this is vacation. You can travel. You can do this. And I'm just like, it's not vacation. I can't go anywhere. Like, It's like so house arrest like, for real because you yes, can't drive. Yes. You can't. You're fearful that you are going to go and get stopped. And then, boom, you're deported because you're not protected. Like uh, the pain of like people misinterpreting. Oh, just enjoy it. I can't when like literally everything that I've worked so hard for is gone. I've lost right. it all. Yeah. And if I wanted to go anywhere, somebody else would have to drive me there. Like I always had to rely on somebody to drive me somewhere. Yeah, same. And then, uh, oh my God, yeah. And so like basically what I did is I came to my boyfriend's house in Rockford because, you know, in Rockford, I like that it's very foresty. So like I spent that time over here and then I I just kind of like self-reflected, journaled a lot started working out, started to get on a habit of like, you know, self-care, skin routine. <laughs> and then, um, and then also I was like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to find ways to make sure they speed up my process. Like I have to get back to work. Like it, and it wasn't more so that I need to get back to work because I need the money. Cause I know a lot of people are going through that. And I totally understand that. But for me, it was so more, more like, I got to go help my community, you know, like, there's like people dying and the nurses are going through so much. Like I need to get back on it, you know? And so I was just like, you know, researching and like going through forums, like reading, like how can I get my process to like get set up, you know? So then I contacted um, our Senator, Senator Duckworth. And she's awesome. I don't know if you've ever read her like documentary or anything, but she's like from the military and, um, I believe paraplegic or hemiplegic, but um, she's very successful and she's very pro-immigration too. So like I reached out to her team and I was like, hey, you know, like I like wrote down like my situation in a whole, this time I actually wrote like a paragraph. A paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) This time I was like, I'm in financial distress. Like I really, I mean, Cause I didn't want to deplete my savings, you know, like I had a savings because I want to buy a house eventually in the future, you know, like, so I was like, I got to pay for rent. I got to pay, you know, cause I'm also helping my mom pay for some of her bills. So like, I wanted to make sure that I didn't run out of money. Um, so 
I was like, and I also got to, you know, help my community. Like, you know, this during COVID, I'm a critical care nurse. My community needs me. And then, you know, one of um, somebody from her team reached out to me and they're like, okay, send me proof of your bank statements. Send me proof of all the bills that you have to pay. Send, send me all your information. Like when your doc expired, paperwork from the USCIS. And then he stated, he goes like, we will try our best to push your application forward, but we can't guarantee anything because USCIS is different. You know, it's like, it's they, they're their own. Yeah. So, but he did specify like, we will try our best. And then next thing you know, like a week later, I got an email stating from both. It's funny, I got them back to back. I got an email from the USCIS that, you know, they're processing my DACA and they're like, you know, they're going to be able to use my, my old biometrics. Um, but they ended up giving me another biometrics appointment anyway. Like they were like, oh, we were able to use, you know, the one from two years ago. And then later they sent me another email saying you're scheduled for your biometrics on so-and-so. So I was kind of confused, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to it. I don't care. Forget it. Getting my data done. I'll go to the, to get my fingerprinted, sign whatever else, whatever you want. <laughs> and then finally, like, you know, they, the the Duckworth team sent me another email stating like we were able to contact the USCIS and you know we were able to help you process your paperwork. You should be receiving an email shortly. So you know, so I was like, thank God. But it was so much research that I had to do. I was like trying to find lawyers. I was going through forums I was just like hours on the computer I would like wake up and check my email every single day you know it's like and then like the sporadic moments of like depression where it's like oh I wish I could go here oh but I can't and then you hear all these people going on vacation for spring break and summer vacation and then I'm just like stuck here staring at the backyard <laughs> but it's okay you know like perspective you know I guess it's all about perspective like like I told myself I was like I need this time off to just relax and just really like take time to care for myself and my mental health especially because right now during COVID my mental health was you know taking a toll and I never really paid attention to it right so everything happens for a reason (laughs) yeah I know and as hard as those moments can be and as fearful we all are on losing our status losing our doc I think I've been part of you know like you said Facebook groups every other person is commenting hey I'm coming close to an expiration hey what should I be doing so many people are experiencing these things and it's so crazy because at the time you feel like you're the only one like nobody knows what I'm going through how do you even explain to your job how do you explain to your coworkers? Mm-hmm. hey I won't be here for another month or I don't even know how long because your processing time as I read on the sites varies right for me at the same situation that you're in it was like eight months for processing time it was a hard reality that a lot of people go through and just picturing I think right now the panic is even getting close to that expiration date, right? Because like people are yeah. already putting in the renewals are fearful, like it won't be renewed in time. Uh, for me, they wouldn't let me renew it before because they would reject it. You mm-hmm. had to renew it within the 150 days. And that time frame itself is, it wasn't long enough with the COVID backlogs 
for them to process it within the, the time before your expiration date. So it's been right. a work in progress. I don't know if they're getting better. I keep hearing stories. I mean, the last episode that I recorded, one of the guests mentioned, um, you know, people from April were still currently waiting for a renewal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's over like what, six months like that you're waiting on on paperwork. And that's just so scary. And I'm so sorry again for anybody that has experienced something like this. I think to what Alba and I are saying is again, perspective is everything. And as hard as it can be, you know, really, really difficult, depressing. I mean, I went through a whole depression, but during that same time, I also became the podcast host, right? Because when I didn't Mm -hmm. have time to do anything and I had the research and I had all this stuff, I was like, let me do something productive for me. And then this is what I'm saying. Like, this was so therapeutic, being able to connect with other dreamers, with other people in the same situation. My first episode was with a guest and I didn't know what I was doing on a podcast. I didn't know, but I knew that I had a mission of like, you know what, my story is unique but it's also very common to many Mm -hmm. people in our situations in DACA you know like going through uh renewals going through expiration dates going through the journey of being an immigrant child becoming a DACA recipient and even for those people also that don't have DACA like we just went through a new recent update where they removed the new DACA applications so many things to talk about that people are not talking about and it was my mission my goal as you mentioned like I wanted to prioritize my own mental health and in taking care of me I also wanted to offer the same space to other people to connect to say hey we're all in this together like look at this person talking about this on a podcast where usually people use these platforms for like other topics and other things that are not related to our stories. And I I think that was my goal. And talking about podcasts, I am super excited because I hear that you have a project of your own in podcasting. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's another reason, like, that's another thing that I thought, well, you know, I was off for a month. I was like, you know what? I feel so alone in this situation. Like I didn't know who to, you know, who to talk to. And then just like sometimes, and I felt like I was just like a broken record at one point because I was talking to my family about it and they're like, yeah, yeah, we already know. We already Sabemos. Know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> just like I need to like find podcasts or people talking about these situations and I would search and search and search and there was none and then I was like what the heck like we need to build a space where like not only talk about immigration and DACA but also talk about like Latinx community and like how successful we are becoming and how you know we are going to be in these high places with you know all the other successful business people like we need to support small you know Latinx businesses you know we need to you know I felt like you know everything growing up I felt like Latinos were not so you know we were really spoken about even like I noticed in grade school like they never talked about Native Americans either. Like in grade school, it was always like, you know, like the blacks against the whites and or the whites against blacks. And, but it was like, where is everybody else? You know, like in that whole history lesson, like it, we were never really taught about, you know, what happens in Mexico and South America or any of that stuff until you get to college and you have to actually choose Latin American class you know, and then that's where you can find out anything. But even then, like, 
you would have to go out there and reach out to these communities to even learn anything, you know. And then there was so much misinformation and there's a lot of like let Latinx uh, writers and artists. And I feel like they don't get that recognition that they deserve. So I was like, let's, let's make a podcast about that. Let's, you know, get a podcast and talk about all the uh, Latinx writers all the Latinx artists, painters, you know, all the Latinx like musicals and, you know, like all the arts programs, you know, where we get overlooked because in Hollywood, we're not even that well represented, you know, so let's talk about all that stuff. And then me and my cousin were talking about that one time. And then I was like, yeah, that's why I want to start a podcast. And she was like, oh my God, I've been wanting to start a podcast. And we were both like, all right, let's start one. I mean, it's still a work in progress. We're getting there. You know, we, we were able to get our name set. So it's Latinas Volando. And the reason why we chose that name um, is because um, we're just two Latinas who are flying in our journey. You know, we're, we're getting there, you know, and also because um, I migrated here, you know, because the butterflies migrate. So we chose the butterfly as one of our symbols. Um, and we can fly high, you know, we can always reach our goals, no matter how high they are. Girl, you're leaving me speechless, all emotional, <laughs> all choked up here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a beautiful, beautiful message. Um, I'm super excited because I know you, when we connected, you're like, I'm also thinking about a podcast and I'm also just starting and I'm just thinking, girl, you're a nurse. You got like so much on your plate already, but like props to you for like, wanting to continue the mission of advocacy and wanting to continue the mission of like representation and putting our stories and our people, our community out there. That is such a great mission to have coming into these platforms. And I'm supportive of everything that you're doing. Like I said, don't ever hesitate of asking questions. I mean, I've only been here for a couple of months too, and it's all new to me, but just being there and, and connecting with other people and like being part of somebody else's like startup, you know, like is yeah. a, a good feeling for me. So um, yeah, talk to me about like your first episode. Has it been like recorded? Are you working? Has it, have you posted anything yet? So right now we're just trying to do a little more of like social media marketing where we're trying to throw our name out there before we actually put something out. Um, we're set to record next week. So hopefully it goes well, you know, we'll see. Exciting. <laughs> um, to anyone listening, please make sure to follow um, Alba and her podcast page, right? Like you're on Instagram already. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. It, you know, it, it always takes time when you're starting something because it's like, okay, we have to set our goals. We have to set our values. Then we have to like break down like, okay, well, who's our target audience? You know, like how can we cater to them? And then what do you want to talk about this month? What do you want to talk about next month? So it's a lot of work, you know, but it's, it's fun. Definitely fun. Yeah. You get to connect with so many people and you learn so much too. Yeah, for sure. And I get, like I said, just having the opportunity to connect with you like that, I would have never imagined yeah. you know, meeting you. And then we have so many things in common and like, oh my gosh, it's just a great experience to have. And so where can we find the podcast page on social media? Um, in, right now we're on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, um, and it's at Latinas Volando. 
Okay, perfect. So yeah. here you heard it, guys. If you guys are interested, please go ahead and support. It support is such like an important thing, you know, when we're starting things like this because you you want to, you know, feel like you're putting in the work and people are actually seeing it and and you know benefiting from it. So yeah, go ahead and support Latinas Volando as you've heard from Alba. We're super excited. I am going to be tuning in and listening and of course mentioning it more and more on the podcast. So once you have your episodes released, I'll be like, hey, make sure to also listen to this podcast. And yeah, there's going to be a whole collaboration with this, which I am so excited about. And yeah. um as we're coming to a close with your episode, um, you know, getting through your experience, obviously it's been a journey. I, I mean, we can't even come or we can't even like share everything in detail from like the hour and a half that we spent together, but like all in all, it was a beautiful story. Like you've been through so much, but here you are, I mean, a successful nurse, uh, working through this pandemic. I mean, you're getting there your DACA has now been renewed, right? <laughs> Imagining. Yes. Yeah. Came in. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Like so many things that you've gone through and here you are again, just getting back on, you know, being a nurse, getting back to everything, your mission and everything. So I am super excited to have featured your story and a very beautiful story at that. Like perseverance, perseverance is everything. Perspective is everything. Um, taking care of yourself. Um, Yes, taking care of others is important, but also yourself. And I think coming to terms with who you are and accepting yourself first is going to open up so many doors and so many other things for you to be comfortable becoming who you are and who you're meant to be in this community and this identity crisis that we all face. Yeah. Um, So, you know, now as we're going through so many talks about this reconciliation bill, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? You know, how are you processing all of these things that are coming up? Like everything that's happening Mm -hmm. regarding our immigration status and the possibility of a pathway to citizenship. What does that mean to you? It means that we're going to get it and that it's going to happen because I've already thought about the many places that I want to go once I get it. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, first it's obviously Mexico because I really miss my home. Like, you, like, that's another thing that I learned is just like, I'm learning that I can have two cultures. Like, there's nothing wrong with being two cultures. That's one thing. It's like, yes, I probably wasn't raised in Mexico. And I can't remember a lot of the things. And all I can look back is at pictures of when I was little eating my little pizzas, you know, but it's okay, because I'm going to go back one day and I'm going to embrace my culture. And as long as I'm here in America, I'm also going to embrace the culture that I was raised here, which is very mixed, you know, like, it's okay to have two cultures, you know, you can be both, you know, like, it's, it's okay, like, I am, I'm really trying to have people get away from that mentality where, like, you can only either live the Mexican way or the American way, or, you know, it's like, no, like, one is better than the other, right, it's like, no, you can integrate both, and it's okay, so that's why I'm like really excited about this. And I'm just thinking like, no, it's not when or like if it's actually thinking like, yes, it's it's happening, you know, like think about it as if it is happening. So then that way we can send that energy to the universe and then everybody can be like celebrated and we can all live as, you know, in peace like we're supposed to, you know. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I think as you mentioned, manifestation is important. And as you were manifesting Alba, you know, RN, Alba, ICU yeah. nurse, you were going to be like Alba, US uh, resident, Alba, US uh, citizen. So yes, yeah, it's the same goes for everyone, guys. Manifestation is key, staying positive, staying true to our faith, and um, definitely just keeping our hopes up um, to uh, this possibility of us getting a pathway to citizenship, it's going to be so important and so big for all of us, you know, in our undocumented community, in our DACA program, it's going to be a huge win for us. And I'm, I, you're right. Yeah. It's not if, it's when. And as I've said it here on the show, we're here, you know, we're sharing our stories. We're, you know, creating a community of people to say, you know, we're here, we're here to stay and we're not going nowhere. Like, and, and like, um, Alba, you had mentioned, I know on, on one of my polls about like, you know, what's your favorite Hispanic or Mexican phrase? And you're like, si se puede, si se puede. And that's exactly what you're telling us today. And uh, before I let you go, as many people are listening to this episode, you know, a lot of them, like I said, maybe nursing students, a lot of them may be, you know, regular people, you know, that don't go through our struggles, you know, everyday people that are listening to our stories. And, you know, some of them may be relating some of them may be like, wow, people really go through things like this. Um, what is your overall message as we conclude your episode today? Wow, like my over, overall message is that just always find that space, you know, where you feel like you can talk about your issues, like the Prickly Podcast, right? For Latinos Volando, like there are spaces for us out there, you know, and always make sure that you have your voice and always believe in yourself and the things that you want to do. That's beautiful. And oh, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here with us today. Um, good luck with everything that you're going through. Like, again, I commend you so much for the hard work that you're putting through as a, as an essential worker, as a nurse during this pandemic. Um, hopefully things start getting better from here on out and that, you know, we are making our way out of it and, you know, um, it's going to be hard. And I know it's, it's going to be a work in progress still, even for years to come. I cannot even imagine like the medical field right now, what everyone is going through. Um, but you know what, like you're saying, we have to stay true to ourselves and be positive that everything will come out. And, you know, God is working our, his way through everything. And that's really important. And as we're coming to a close on your episode again thank you so much for being here thank you for you know wanting to share your story and you know being part of my show and my podcast and supporting you have been very supporting you know from like reposting on your social media page to like you know answering my polls and like again the support that you receive from people that you don't know that you know find your content like interesting or like hey thank you so much for sharing it does mean a lot so I can't wait for you to start experiencing things like that because I cannot explain to you like the excitement and joy when you're putting up a project like a podcast and you're like who's gonna listen you know people really I I, I had yeah. so much doubt of like this being successful and as much of like I really mm -hmm. wanted it I was also fearful of like failure I was fearful of like what if I start something and I can't finish or I can't continue I can't commit and you know what it's crazy because even then there's that little minute of like this is a very time-consuming project you know being on a podcast recording yeah. editing finding guests everything about it is is a full-time job in itself but you know what like I think the motivation comes from like yes it's so hard 
but you get those messages of like, hey, I just listened to the story or like, hey, this was beautiful. Like, thank you for sharing or like things like that, that just keep you going. And I'm like, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. I have this mission. I have this desire to be here, this passion for a reason. And it's people like you that say, yes, let me be on the show or like, yes, I want to be a part of it. Even just listening on the other side to anyone listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the support. Alba, like I cannot wait for you to start experiencing all these things and for you to like post your first episode on Latinas Volando. Definitely going to be staying tuned to all of that coming our way. And uh, without further ado, thank you so much for being here. No, thank you so much. I've learned so much from your podcast. Also, like I, just hearing like the different stories and I was like, what? You can do that? I didn't know you can do that. I'm going to do that. You know, like, <laughs> or even like reaching out to the other, other speakers where guest speakers where I was like, oh, wow, you know, like, this is awesome. Like, I love her story, you know, like that's the beauty about life too. It's just like being able to connect with other people. And I love that learning from each other, you know? So it's amazing. Thank you so much for this platform. I love it. And thank you so much for the support. Also, thank you for featuring my story. I haven't really like had the chance to sit down and actually share it with the world. I was a little nervous in the beginning. (laughs) No, you're fine. You did great. And I think um, exactly that's the whole point of being here because a lot of us didn't, you know, have the opportunity. When did we ever sit down with somebody else and say, hey, you know, back in the day when I was like one years old, I came here, you know, like it's such a hard thing to like come up in conversation and just to open up and to realize, wow, so many people go through the same things. And like, yes, we tear up and yes, we share the same emotions of like, finding out and it's this kept secret and coming out is just a beautiful experience that I'm so happy to have featured part of that in this episode and to many people listening I hope you guys love this story so many more stories to come I hope there's many more collaborations and um you know one day we're gonna have you host this episode and be my guest host as I would I want (laughs) to have guest hosts on and things like that so so many things that we can do and collaborate together so I'm super 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 excited um good luck with everything with for giving us the voice no thank you for for being here and then that's super awesome so I'll let you go everyone listening enjoy the rest of your evening have a great Thursday it's almost the, the weekend so much to look forward to and thank you so much for joining us today have a good one bye you too bye bye